Let's turn our Bibles tonight, please. We have two readings. I only read from Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. Then I want to turn to one verse in 1 Timothy. So Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. And then turning over to 1 Timothy, chapter 3, where our text really is found. So Luke, chapter 2. Luke, chapter 2. Reading together from verse number 1. Luke 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, Unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into the heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go, even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass which the Lord have made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph, and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things, pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God, for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told unto them. Amen. And let's turn now to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16 will be the text that I want to look at tonight. 1 Timothy 3 verse number 16. 1 Timothy 3 verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Amen. We'll end our readings there. And we know that God will bless the public reading of his word to every heart. Please do mark First Timothy 3. That's where the text is for tonight. But having your Bible open, let's unite our hearts again before the Lord. And whatever words you use in these moments, use them now 
As we have said before, all too soon the benediction will be pronounced and the worship of God will be over for another Sunday. And therefore, let us just take the moment now and, and pray and pray that God will speak to your heart and draw very near, even in this evening service. Let's unite our hearts together. Let us all pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, in the stillness and quietness of this little meeting house, we bow before your Godhead. Worship thee in the holy trinity of thy sacred persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we thank thee tonight for the incarnation of our Lord, that God was manifest in the flesh. We thank thee, O God, for the one that mild he laid his glory by, and born that man no more may die. And we thank thee for all tonight in this meeting that are rejoicing in the one that was virgin-born, and lived that holy life and died that atoning death. Thank you for every head bowed that is rejoicing. In the day they found in Christ all that they heard to be true. The joy of sins forgiven. And peace with God through the blood of the cross. But Lord as we come tonight to look at this situation, this subject. We commit ourselves afresh to God and to your care. And I confess before this gathered congregation. And before thine omniscient throne, my complete inadequacy and unworthiness to deal with what is before me now in this meeting. Forgive my sins, for they are many. Empty me of everything that would hinder. Wash me completely in the blood of Christ, that I might be a vessel fit and meet for the Master's use. Fill me now with the Holy Ghost and power. Grant that divine anointing Grant from heaven that holy baptism, the anointing to hear, and the anointing to preach the word. Lord, give help. Bind the devil, the one that always resists us. O oh God, bind him tonight. Purge the atmosphere. Close us in with thyself. For we ask it all in Jesus' name, and for God's everlasting glory and praise. Amen. Amen. Paul, when writing... To Timothy, in this epistle that we have read from tonight, he was writing to one that he had a long acquaintance with. Timothy, as I'm sure many of you know, had been saved, brought to faith in Jesus Christ on Paul's first missionary journey in the town of Lystra, when Paul had preached there. And then on his second missionary journey, Paul had went back to Lystra and found that Timothy had a great testimony in the local church, and Paul took him with him on that occasion to be part of his team on the missionary journey. It must have been a great joy to Paul to see a young man that had been saved under his own ministry. And then to go back to that same church and see Timothy flourish and go on with God to such a degree that he was then ready to leave the local church and to step out as a preacher of the gospel indeed to accompany the great apostle Paul and on his missionary journey. In this third chapter where we have read tonight in 1 Timothy, we have Paul writing, of course, to Timothy about the different subjects concerning church life. He deals with them on the subject of a bishop, the qualifications of a bishop, qualifications of a deacon. And then in verse 15, he deals with the subject of behavior in the house of God. 
But it is to verse number 16 that I want to draw your attention as we bring this message tonight from the Lord to you. Verse number 16 of 1 Timothy 3 where we read, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. In that text, you have one of the great statements of faith, one of the greatest statements of faith that you will have in all of the Bible. It's a tremendous statement, a a confession really of faith. And for the time that remains, I just want to look at verse 16 with you, having given you that very brief introduction. And I want to look at a message that I've entitled from verse 16, A Great Confession of Faith. A Great Confession of Faith. The first thing I want to show you is the clearness of this confession. The clearness of this confession. Look at verse 16. And without controversy. It means without dispute. This is what they believed about Jesus Christ. It's a confession of Christ. This is what verse number 16 holds here. This is what they believed without controversy, without dispute. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Now we touched on that this morning. Let me say something at this very point on that doctrine. God was manifest in the flesh. Any so-called body of people in this world who do not believe and hold these cardinal doctrines of the faith, etc. God was manifest in the flesh. I want to make it clear, they are not Christ's church. They can't be. I don't care how tall their spire is. I don't care how many stained glass windows they have. I don't care how many people go in there. If they do not hold to the cardinal doctrine of the faith, this one in particular that we see here, God was manifest in the flesh. They are not Christ's church. You can't be the church of Christ and not believe in the doctrine of the incarnation, the virgin birth, that God was manifest in the flesh. Let me make that clear. The clearness of this confession. Paul says, without dispute, this is what they believed. That God was manifest in the flesh. This confession that we see tonight is a confession on his birth, his life, his ascension back to glory. And we're going to go through it very quickly. But there's the clearness of it. Without dispute, great is the mystery of godliness God was manifest in the flesh. Now this doctrine of God being manifest in the flesh, you will all be aware, is a doctrine that has been attacked by cults and heretics down throughout the years. You'll be aware also, I'm sure, that in AD 325, the Council of Nicaea met to deal with this awful heresy. This awful doctrine that God the Father alone is eternal and that the Son was created. But dear people, as we did, as the the church did then, we do now. We reject that doctrine completely that Christ was created. But let us remind ourselves tonight as we sing these carols and get together with family and friends 
Truly, without dispute, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Let me say something else. Anybody in whatever century they lived, if they denied this doctrine, that God was manifest in the flesh and held that doctrine for the duration of their life, let me make it abundantly clear, at the end of their life, they perished. They perished. And I include in those that hold those doctrines, Russellites, Mormons, Seventh-day Adventists, who all deny this glorious truth, God manifest in the flesh. And I say tonight on the authority of Scripture, that whoever holds that, and holds it throughout life, and comes to death, perish at death. Because without dispute, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, God was manifest in the flesh. Go to John chapter 8. Do you see the Lord actually state that? John chapter 8. Verse number 24. And look with me there. It's a very well known narrative. But go to the, go there please. John 8 verse 24. John 8 24. I said therefore unto you. That ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he. Now look, note the word he is in italics. So it really reads, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am the name of God, ye shall die in your sins. What Christ is showing there is this, there's absolutely no possibility of being saved if you deny God manifest in the flesh. There is no possibility. You will die in your sins. That individual. Because you see, it's not a case. Do you believe in Jesus? I said this before. Everybody believes in Jesus. Everybody. The question is, what do you believe about Jesus? Who was he? That's the question. And what the church is showing us here in 1 Timothy 3 is that without controversy, without dispute, God was manifest in the flesh. There's what they believed. The basis of this confession was the incarnation of Christ, that it was God manifest in the flesh. What would it mean for us, dear people, if the cults were right? What would it mean for us? Well, it would mean this. If Christ be not God, I want to make a few points here. There is no mediator. There is no mediator. Because a true mediator stands between two opposing factions. But a true mediator can represent both factions equally. Now think about the factions and you here. The, the parties that are at enmity are God and man. Who can mediate in that realm and represent both parties? The one that mediates there has to be of these qualifications. He has to be God and he has to be man. Or he cannot be the mediator. 
But there's the glory of the child in the manger. He was qualified to be the mediator. He was qualified to mediate in the realm between God and man, to represent God to man and represent man with God. And I say to you tonight, rejoice at this time of year. Rejoice in the incarnation. It's a glorious time. It's a wonderful time. But rejoice in it that the one that came had the qualifications to be the mediator. But it means this, dear people, that what Paul also said to Timothy was right. There's one God and one mediator. Why is there one mediator? Because there's only one qualified. There is only one with the qualifications to mediate in the realm between God and man. And it's Christ because he was the God-man. Therefore, he was qualified to be the mediator. And let me say something else. Anybody or any group that claims that position as mediator, and I include the Pope, is a usurper and antichrist. Because they have entered into a realm that they don't qualify for. There can only be one mediator between God and man. Because the only one qualified has to be God and he has to be man. The mediator. Let me say something else. If Christ be not God, if God be not manifest in the flesh, his death had no value. His death had no value. If Christ be not God, brother and sister, of course I'm speaking hypothetically, you and I are still in our sins. And our sin has not been paid for and we will perish. Because there's only one death could satisfy divine justice and propitiate divine wrath and it had to be a death of infinite value and as we saw this morning Christ is qualified as a man he suffered but as God he satisfied satisfied divine justice propitiated divine wrath yes he's the mediator he's also qualified to deal with sin and thank God for this season, God was manifest in the flesh. Our Lord took into union with his own deity, a true humanity, a sinless humanity. For he came in that, in the likeness of sinful flesh, he came to deal with sin. Oh dear people, think about this. The babe that we read off tonight in Luke's Gospel. The babe that was wrapped in swaddling bands, lying in a manger, that precious babe, in that babe dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. God manifest in the flesh. The one that lay in the arms of Mary was the creator of this world. The glory of the incarnation. The glory of this time of year. Of course it's a glorious doctrine no matter what time of year, but this is the time of year we think about it. The one that came. God manifest in the flesh. I say to you, this doctrine has been attacked from the earliest days. And yet we see the glory of this doctrine. God was manifest in the flesh. Go back again to 1 Timothy 3. Look at how the text goes on. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit justified in the spirit as you know Christ lived his life and carried out his ministry 
carried out his ministry rather under the power of the Holy Ghost. John 3 tells us that. He was filled without measure. And our blessed Lord, filled with the Spirit without measure, lived for sinners, died for sinners, because in this great confession we see the clearness of it without controversy. We also see the content of this confession, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the content before us, justified in the Spirit and raised again for our justification. He was delivered to death for our offences. But raised again, justified in the Spirit, and thus declaring to the world that his sacrifice was accepted, and he was indeed the Son of God. Dear people, what a message we have to proclaim to our friends and loved ones. The Incarnation. He was qualified to be the mediator. He was justified in the Spirit. He was who he said he was. He rose again. In that great declaration to the world, the Father has accepted the sacrifice for sin, and all who trust him will be saved. Here's the confession of the early church. God manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit. And moving very quickly here, the clearness of the confession, the content of the confession. What about the cherubims in the confession? Because look at verse 16 again. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels. Now there's a study all its own, the cherubims in this great confession. Have you ever studied all the times that the angels appeared in connection with the life of our Lord? We read Luke 2 tonight, we'll not go back there. The angels were there at the birth. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Go to Matthew 4, where they appear again. Go to Matthew 4. Let's just go through this tonight. Matthew chapter 4. Here's the cherubims. Matthew 4 verse 11. Here's the end of the temptations. I dealt with this the last time I was over here. Matthew four eleven. Then the devil leaveth him. And behold, angels came and ministered unto him. There they are at the Lord's temptations. After they ended, the angels came and ministered unto him. Now go to look number look twenty two, please. Look twenty two. Now we're in Gethsemane, so we've seen the angels at his birth. We've seen the angels at his temptations. We're now in Gethsemane. Look chapter twenty two. Look with me there at verse forty three, because Calvary's casting its shadow upon our Lord. But look at verse forty three. He says, "And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven." strengthening him what a what a moment what a condescension by our lord a created angel strengthening the creator the angel coming from the heavenly kingdom to strengthen him our lord look at verse 43 again there appeared an angel unto him from heaven the word for heaven there is the same word as is used in Acts chapter 7 and 2 Corinthians 12. Let me just tell you what they are. Acts 7, Stephen's being stoned to death. He looks into heaven. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul's caught up to the third heaven. And we see in Gethsemane the angel came from the third heaven. And strengthens our Lord. The birth, the, the birth, the temptation. Now in Gethsemane. Go now to Matthew 28. Now we're at the resurrection. 
Go to Matthew 28. Matthew 28 verse 2. Matthew 28 verse 2. Here's the angel again. The resurrection morning. Behold there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it and told the woman to fear not. He's risen. Come see the place where they lay. You begin to see the picture. The birth. The temptations. Gethsemane. The resurrection. Now go to Acts 1 to the ascension. Go to Acts 1. And the angels are here again. Acts chapter 1 verse 10. Our Lord has ascended to glory. Acts 1 verse 10. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? Do you see it? The appearance of the angels, these pivotal moments, the birth, the temptation, Gethsemane. The resurrection. Now the ascension back to glory. And of course the one that still awaits. The one that's still to come. Go to Second Thessalonians 1. Because understand something dear people. As we saw in the prayer meeting the other night. This world will end when Christ comes. But he's coming with the angels. Go to Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Look with me there. This is a word for believers that are troubled. Suffering persecution. Second Thessalonians 1 verse 7. To you who are troubled. Rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven. With his mighty angels. Do you see it? At the birth they were there. At the temptations they were there. Gethsemane there's an angel leaves the third heaven. The resurrection, they're there. The ascension, they're there. I tell you, they're with them now. They're before the throne, crying, holy, holy, holy. And at the end of the world, they're coming again. But have you noticed, I'm sure you've noticed many a time before, all these momentous moments in the life of Christ, the angels are there, referred to in this great confession. But there's one time they're not there. They're not at Calvary. They weren't at the cross. No mention of them. Because in that moment Christ must tread it alone. Oh dear people see your Lord. See your Lord leave Gethsemane. And watch him go out to Calvary. But that one he must do alone. He trod the winepress alone alone he himself bore our sins in his own body to the tree we've already seen it why did he do it himself he's the only one qualified to do it he goes there alone oh what a confession what a confession this is going back to first timothy three the clearness of it without dispute god was manifest in the flesh the content of it, justified in the spirit, his life and his death, the cherubims in the confession. But what about the commission in the confession? Because look again with me. Look again with me how it reads in First Timothy three sixteen. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, 
seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles. There is a marvelous statement that ought to encourage the heart of everybody in this meeting tonight. We're Gentiles. It was the confession of the early church that the Gentiles would receive the gospel. That the gospel will come to us. That the gospel wasn't only for the Jew. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 3 please. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Look with me there. Paul deals with this. Ephesians chapter 3. Verse number 6. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. There's a marvelous statement that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. What's the thought? Paul states that the mystery that was revealed that Christ's gospel would gather in the Gentiles and they would be partakers of the promise and have the great apostle to the Gentile telling us here that they would do so without being Jews. The gospel. Coming to your lands, coming to your nations. You think of that moment in Acts chapter 10. That's the moment that ought to rejoice every heart in this meeting. Acts 10. Peter being sent to the house of Cornelius. The first Gentile congregation. Oh, go there, please. Go there. Let's look at Acts 10 tonight. Because it's such a pivotal verse for us. Acts chapter 10. And the Lord's getting Peter ready to go to the house of Cornelius to preach the gospel to them. Acts 10, this official opening door, opening of the gospel door to the Gentile world. And here's where it happens. But read with me, please, verse 11 to 14 of Acts 10. In fact, let's begin at verse 9. On the morrow, Acts 10 verse 9, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up onto the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air and there came a voice to him Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now understand dear people when Peter said in verse 14 not so Lord what's this about what were these visions of these unclean animals all about because you've got to understand it as we think of the gospel going to the Gentiles you see the food laws the food laws under the ceremonial system they constituted the most striking difference between the Jew and the Gentile and when Peter said to the Lord in verse 14, Not so, Lord, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And Peter was saying he'd always lived as a strict Jew. But Acts 10, dear people, is post-Calvary. And the moment, and this is the moment when the same divine authority that under the Old Testament ceremonial system pronounced certain Foods unclean now pronounces them clean. The ceremonial system abolished. 
fulfilled by our Lord in all its types and shadows, fulfilled in Christ and abolished. And the Lord now comes to Peter and says, Peter, what I have cleansed, don't call unclean. The food laws are set aside. There was nothing wrong with them. God gave them, but they were abolished. They're no longer, they're no longer standing. And here's Peter, and the door has been opened to take the gospel to the Gentile world. Oh, I say to you today, dear brother and sister, I say to you, rejoice in Acts 10. It was the gospel coming to the Gentiles. It was the gospel coming to that people that you and I are members of. The gospel came to us. Peter was sent to those Gentiles people like you and I Peter go go the middle wall of partitions broken down Jew Gentile are all now one in Christ gathered into the same everlasting covenant there's a lot of talk today of who are God's people I'll tell you who God's people are you and me We don't deserve it, but we're God's people. There's a lot of talk today, who's God's chosen people? You and me. And let me say this with all due respect, and I say it very kindly. Jesus Christ did not come in the incarnation to receive a little piece of land in the Middle East. He came in the incarnation for us. That's why he left heaven. He came for the glory and the joy of seeing his people like you and me with him in glory. That's the confession of the early church. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles. Oh, we stand here tonight and we rejoice that the Christ that came, as he said to Nicodemus in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, Nicodemus. You know what he meant by that? He meant Nicodemus. I was sent for more than you Jews. I was sent for Gentiles also. For God so loved Jew and Gentile. That he gave his only begotten son. Gave him in the incarnation. That whosoever believeth in him. Should not perish. But have everlasting life. The commission is also seen here. Where we look again. Going back to 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3.16. Look again at the text. Without controversy greets the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. There's the clearness of it. Justified in the spirit, there's the content. The cherubim, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, but then believed on in the world. They're still under this thought of the commission of this confession. The great commission believed on in the world. The great commission was to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But what is the gospel? It begins with this bedrock. God was manifest in the flesh. Do you see where it begins? Because understand this, dear people. If God was not manifest in the flesh, there's no gospel. 
simple as. There is no gospel, there's no message, and I might as well go back to the factory, because I've got nothing to say. But God was manifest in the flesh. He entered into this old world. He lived and he died for sinners. And this commission was go into all the world and preach the gospel. And he that believeth shall be saved. And I look unto a little company of people tonight that rejoice in the incarnation. That your Lord came. That somebody came to rescue us. And do all that we need it. To save us in time and to keep us for time and keep us in eternity. And I say to us all today. I say it to us all. Let's not think about the incarnation once a year dear people. Let's thank God for it all year round. Because without it we're in our sin. Without it there's no mediator. And I tell you, it's a blessed time. I know the devil has abused it and taken this holy occasion when we think about the birth of our Lord and turned it into something awful. Nevertheless, it doesn't mean we don't rejoice in it. It doesn't mean it's not a lovely time. It's a wonderful time. We think about the birth of Christ, the coming of Emmanuel, that God was manifest in the flesh. Finally, We've seen the clearness of the confession. We've seen the content of it. We've seen the cherubims, the commission, the coronation in it. Look at verse 16. Believed on in the world, received up into glory. What a coronation. Received up into glory. There's where Christ is right now. At the Father's right hand. The one that was virgin born. And today he sits at the right hand of the majesty on high and he pleads his blood and he pleads over the whole value of the atonement and he's praying for the church and he's upholding us in our trials with his intercession. And I say to you tonight that Jesus Christ will not leave the right hand of the Father until the last day the old apostles' creed got it so right sitteth down at the right hand of God the Father Almighty from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead let's make it clear dear people this world hasn't seen the last of Jesus Christ this world will meet him again you remember what he told those disciples in fact, it was the very message Peter took to the house of Cornelius. In fact, just go to it. Just go to it. Acts 10, as I close. Acts 10. Peter's telling the Gentiles. Peter's telling the Gentiles of this Christ. Look what he told them. Look at the command Christ gave them. He commanded us to preach. Verse 42, Acts 10, 42. He commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. Now do you see that? Acts 10, verse 42. He commanded us. Christ told them, you preach this. Testify to the people. That Jesus Christ has been ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. What was the Lord commanding them? 
He was commanding them this. You tell the world. They haven't seen the last of Jesus Christ. You tell the world in your preaching. That there's a day coming they'll see me again. So you study your New Testament dear people. After the resurrection. No one saved person ever saw the saviour. He only ever appeared to believers. The last time our Lord was seen by the ungodly was on that tree. But the risen Christ told those disciples, You tell them, I'm ordained of God to be the judge on judgment day. Oh, what a message. Yes, the glory of the incarnation, he came. He lived. He died. He was seen of angels. He commissioned the church to preach the gospel. He was received up into glory. There's his coronation. But dear brother and sister, the great doctrine there for you and me is this. That since heaven received Christ, heaven will receive you. Heaven will receive you. Received up into glory. The Westminster Divines they met in the Jerusalem chamber to draw together our confessions of faith and our larger and shorter catechisms and pushing them through Parliament in London but one great statement of doctrine they made in fact they're all great statements of doctrine but here's one of them that been received up into heaven the souls of believers at their death are made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory and their bodies being still united to Christ rests in the grave till the resurrection there's the confession of our faith received up into glory oh what a time of year the one that was born lived died rose ascended is there taking all his people home seeing his prayers answered seeing the fruit of his blood the fruit of his cross seeing them gathered safely into the garner until that resurrection when body and soul will be reunited and we'll be forever body and soul with the Lord Amen so let it be without controversy great is the mystery of godliness God was manifest in the flesh justified in the spirit seen of angels preached unto the Gentiles believed on in the world received up into glory understand this dear people as I close the Christ in the manger was the Christ of the cross. The Christ of the cross is now the Christ on the throne. And the Christ on the throne is coming back. He's coming back. With the angel train, there's some day coming, dear people, leaving aside everybody's view in eschatology. I believe when the last one is saved, for whom that blood was shed then the trumpet will sound and the Lord will return 
and he'll come to take this world his people out of it take them home who knows what generation that will be but there will be a generation that will never die you understand what I mean by that there will be a generation in this world who will never actually die because they will be alive when Christ comes and the church will be taken out what a message what a Christ tonight dear people the one that came in the incarnation virgin born lived, died, rose, ascended dear believer rejoice in him this season any here unsaved I say to you come to him come to Christ seek him any here cold in heart and again I as a preacher I set these things before you I don't know but if there are any here cold in heart why not tonight say Lord I've wandered far away from God now I'm coming home may God write his word in every heart and may God bless it to every soul Lord take your word apply it as thou to see the need Write the great truths upon our souls. How we thank thee for Jesus Christ. How we thank thee for the blood of the Lamb. And how we thank thee for all that we have in him. Bless us in our closing praise. Bless the dear people of this church in the days that lie ahead. As they get together with loved ones and family and friends. Be with them in every occasion. And let your presence be very near to them all. And do remember those that find it difficult. Minister unto them we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.